Please bow your heads for the prayer for illumination. Gracious Lord, as we attend to the reading and preaching of your word, bring home your truth from our psalm and from the Proverbs to our hearts, that your righteousness endures forever, that you are gracious and compassionate, that you remember your covenant. As we read and hear, teach us your trustworthy wisdom, that we might have holy fear in our hearts, praise on our lips, and uprightness in our lives. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. Please open your Bibles to the end of Romans 11. It is found on page 1139 of your Red Bibles. We'll begin with verse 33 and read through verse 3 of chapter 12. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. This is the word of the Lord. Let me invite you to take your bulletin insert, which has our passage of scripture printed on it today. These are selections from the book of Proverbs on the theme of humility. While you have that in your hand, and before we start, let me just note that the the doxology is on the back. And it's a different tune than you're used to. We sang it last week like this, and some of you were a little confused. So I'm just letting you know it's a little different, and, but it's also very simple. It's important that we kind of get it this week, because next week we're going to sing it as a canon in a round together. So this is our dress rehearsal this week. Next week, it's for real. So just wanted to alert you to that. So back to the Proverbs here on the other side of our insert. I just divided this into three sections so that it might be a little easier for us to find our way. So let's hear God's word from the book of Proverbs. The Lord hates haughty eyes and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. 
haughty eyes and a proud heart, the unplowed field of the wicked produce sin. The proud and arrogant person, mocker is his name, behaves with insolent fury. The Lord tears down the house of the proud, but he sets the widow's boundary stones in place. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Better to be lowly in spirit along with the oppressed than to share plunder with the proud. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. Wisdom's instruction is to fear the Lord, and humility comes before honor. Do not exalt yourself in the king's presence, and do not claim a place among his great men. It is better for him to say to you, come up here, than for him to humiliate you before his nobles. Do you see a person wise in their own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for them. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's imagine we are in a room with one another. I guess we are, no need to imagine. But someone walks into this room. And when they do, suddenly the atmosphere of the room changes. And now you can't avoid breathing in the atmosphere that this new person is breathing out. And what are they breathing out? I am better than you. I don't have time for you. Everyone should think like me. Everyone should act like me. I have nothing to learn from you. You should be thankful for me. We're turning to the book of Proverbs, and we're here in order to get some wisdom for one anothering. How can this book help us become the kind of people who are able to live together in community, in close community even, and rather than destroying one another, to actually live well together? And we need to start then with humility from the Proverbs. Why? Because when you read the book of Proverbs, you realize that before you can start to really learn the other wisdom that this book teaches us, how to use your passions, your sexuality, your influence, your power, your intellect for the good of other people, for the good of us all, before you can learn those things, you have got to learn the wisdom of humility first. You've got to be ready, and you've got to be teachable. The call of the Proverbs right from the beginning is, get wisdom, 
It's the most important thing in your life. And right away we learn that the path to wisdom begins with humility. So the Proverbs might as well call out to us, get humility. There's nothing more important. Humility, though, is one of those things that you can't just get. You can't just learn it from a textbook. It comes in a different way. But if we're going to begin to learn, then we need to look at at least four things from these Proverbs that we've read together. Let's look at the resistance to humility, the rage against humility, the rescue of humility, and the resurrection of humility. The resistance, the rage, the rescue, and the resurrection so that we can learn what humility is all about. First, let's look at the resistance to humility. Let's go back to that room again we were just in. The air is clear, everyone's breathing easy, someone comes in, and by their very demeanor, and of course by their words, they begin to pollute that atmosphere And they do it with this me, me, me kind of attitude. So what's going on in this person's heart? What's going on is is the resistance to humility. And what resists humility, as we see here in chapter 11, verse 2, it's in the middle section here, is, of course, pride. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. The proud person is resisting humility. Now, in order to understand what the resistance to humility looks like in someone's heart, we need to first see that actually proud and humble people, they really want the same things. They just want them for different reasons and for different purposes. Let's look at two examples. First, both a proud person and a wise person want wisdom. The humble person wants wisdom. Why? So that they can use it to help and to serve until the whole community begins to prosper and flourish. Why does the proud person want wisdom, though? They want wisdom so they can use it to win, to get more wealth to get more power, to get more honor, to get more fans, more friends, more followers, more likes, to get more for themselves. And where did this come from, this perverse way of using wisdom to get stuff for me? Well, let's not forget that God gave both Adam and Eve a perfect place, a perfect partner, a perfect path to prosperity in Eden. And then he said, with all of this stuff that I give you, one thing, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It will kill you. Trust rather me and you will become wise in time. But what got into Adam and Eve's heads and hearts was, what's God hiding from us? What's he keeping from us? He said it's the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If we take that and we eat it, that means that we become wise. And if we become wise, 
We can take control. Let's have a little bite, shall we? And the reality is now that ever since Adam and Eve, everyone has wanted to take wisdom in order to take control, first from God and then from other people. Lewis Smead says that the desire to be God leaves us empty at the center. And those who are empty at the center are almost always arrogant. The proud and the humble both want wisdom. 11.2 says that the humble are the ones that get wisdom. But the proud, they go and they try to grab it and manipulate it and use it in order to use others with it. So both the proud and the and humble want wisdom. But both the proud and the humble, secondly, want honor, honor. Have you ever woken up one morning and you thought, what will I do with my day? I think I would like to be disgraced today. <laughs> Let's see if I can make that happen. No one wakes up thinking that, right? But again, in 11.2, Proverbs tells us that if you are proud, if you face the day with pride, then you are heading toward disgrace. Look down there at section 3 and chapter 25, 6 to 7. The proud person comes into the room, sits down, maybe in between the king and the prime minister, and says, look at me, I'm up here, I'm up front. And then the king has to say, um, this seat is actually reserved for my honored guest, so you're going to have to find another seat. I think I see one available in the back. Disgrace, right? But the humble person, the proverb tells us, sits in the back and is glad to. And then someday, the king calls out, hey, humble servant, come up here to the front. Sit with me. Honor instead of disgrace. We want to be honored. The proud demand it. The humble wait for it, and the humble will eventually receive it. So they're both looking for wisdom and honor. They go about getting those things and using those things in different ways. That's the resistance to humility. Why are we so resistant to humility, though? I think our text, again, gives us a clue, especially in the first section here. We're resistant to humility because actually, underneath our surface-level resistance to humility, below the surface is actually a rage against humility, a rage the proud person might look self-assured and confident. But underneath, look at verse 24 of chapter 21 in section 1 there. Underneath, the arrogant person is burning with fury. They're angry and furious. They're boiling underneath the surface. See, when you are proud, you're angry. Why are you angry? You're angry because... It takes so much work to gain power 
and influence and wealth and honor. And you're angry that you have to work so hard not just to get it, but now to hold on to it. And then you pretend that this doesn't bother you, that you've got it all together, everything's fine. But the pretending is also hard work, and that makes you even more angry with the way things are. And then you have to look at the the first section again. You have to become a mocker. You have to put people down. Sometimes you have to give fake respect to people that are in power so that you can get some of it. And you're always doing one of those two things, and you're doing it to try to keep the control you've managed to get and maybe get a little bit more of it. Why are you so angry? Because middle of section one here, if you're proud, you have what Proverbs 21.4 calls a heart that is nothing but an unplowed field. Isn't that something? The Hebrew is a little tricky here, but what I think that this means is that when you're proud, you have no real depth of character. And when your life is lived completely on the surface, then you're always afraid that you are, in fact, superficial. And you just might be. And when your life is lived on the surface, you're nervous and furious and miserable. You haven't had your heart plowed. And you haven't had the seeds of Humility and wisdom planted deep in your heart. And friends, any group of people, but especially a Christian church, that's full of people with unplowed hearts is trouble, right? We're in big trouble if we walk around with unplowed hearts. The Lord loves peace and joy and collaboration and the flourishing of communities, especially churches. But as it says in the very first proverb here in section one, a proud person destroys the life of the community. We will never have, friends, the kind of church that God longs for us to have if we resist humility and if just below the surface we rage against humility. So what are we going to do, friends, with our unplowed hearts? What are we going to do? Resistance to humility, the rage against humility, but thankfully now, the rescue of humility. All throughout the Bible, we know God opposes the proud. God is the one who destroys the Tower of Babel. God exiles Adam and Eve from the garden because of their pride. But we read also throughout the scriptures that God gives grace to the humble. And he will humble our pride by his grace. How does he do it? Now let's not forget, as Joyce read from us, or uh, from Romans for us, that God is the one, the only one, who can literally say, everything began with me, and everything is actually about me. And we respond saying, to him be glory forever and ever. But despite the fact that it's all from him and to him and through him and for him, he enters into our proud world, doesn't he? He comes not to tear us down or to kick us out. We're proud, he could. 
but he comes humbly and he comes to rescue us. Think of it. Look at part three again, chapter 25. The king is sitting among all of his great men. That's normal stuff, right? But Jesus enters the room and he sneaks in through the back door and then he takes a humble seat on the back row. Actually, most of the time, he's not sitting at all, is he? He's one of the servers. He's up and serving us. Look at the proud plunderers there in section two, chapter 16. The proud stand with the plunderers, but Jesus stands with who? Jesus actually stands with the oppressed, with the lowly in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And these aren't just the words of Jesus, but they're actually the very way of Jesus. Thank God. Section 2, chapter 15, humility comes before honor. And Jesus was perfectly humble, even though he was Lord. But before God went and exalted him to the highest place on the throne of heaven itself, what did God say of, to the Lord Jesus? He said, look there in uh, section 3, chapter 25. He said, Jesus, I want you to come up here, but not, first of all, up to my throne where you can sit. But he said to our Lord Jesus, first of all, before you take the place of honor, I'm asking you to come up here to the cross of Calvary. And when you go there, people are going to mock you and all of their fury that's usually just below the surface of their pride is going to come out upon you. Friends, Jesus Christ, the God of gods, allowed himself, look at section two, to be torn down by the proud. He submitted to the Lord But instead of the Lord making his path straight, the Lord took him on a path that led him to the cross. And Jesus was willing to do this in his humility. It was his joy to do this for us, to break our pride with this life of his. Jesus knew that the only way that you could ever be pulled up out of your pride was if he could plow the field of your hard heart and plant there, finally, the seeds of his grace. And so he allowed himself to be humiliated in our place. Jesus breaks our resistance to humility and our rage against humility, and he does it with his rescue of humility. Isn't it something? And friends, when you realize, when you realize how proud you are, but you experience Jesus' great humility, then you never want to be proud again. It breaks your heart to think of how proud you are. And so the question for each of us is, has your heart been plowed by Jesus' humble spirit? Has the seed of grace been planted there in the furrows of the field of your heart? Has it started to sprout humbly the fruit of the spirit, the fruit of humility? This is God's rescue of humility in Jesus Christ. Have you been rescued? 
So we have the resistance to humility and we have a rage against humility. Thank God Jesus comes with a rescue of humility. But what that leads to finally and gloriously is forth a resurrection of humility. A resurrection of humility. At the very beginning of the book of Proverbs, we find out that this book is kind of a father-son talk. A mentoring session between father and son. And the father is trying to show and, and even to tell the way of wisdom for his son. And the father teaches the son, look, son, uh, at the beginning of a life of wisdom is humility. Learn humility, son. And as we kind of hinted at at the beginning, humility is one of those things that, yeah, it can be taught, but it really also has to be caught, Right? I can sit my own sons down and every night I can instruct them even from God's word and teach them to be humble. I can even try to teach them with my life, flawed as it is, to try to catch whatever humility that I have gained over the years. But here's something cool. I'm no wise sage like the authors of these Proverbs. But even though I'm not a wise sage, I have something that even the wisest Hebrew sages never had, or at least never had the way I have it. And what is that? Well, I have wisdom itself in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Think of the beginning of John's gospel. John says that Jesus is the perfect display of the Father's character. And Jesus shows us, therefore, exactly what the Father is like. Everything Jesus does, he learns from the Father. Everything he says, he's heard said by the Father. And it's like Jesus has sat down with his Father and been counseled over the course of eternity. And he's caught and he's learned the Father's wisdom. And now he comes to earth and he lives it right before us. And here's the thing not to forget. He lives it even now in our human flesh. When we read the Proverbs and we learn its humility, we learn it, therefore, not just from some dead Hebrew sage from thousands of years ago, but we learn it right now from a living, resurrected Hebrew man who is also the very wisdom of God in human flesh. And he teaches it to us by his spirit. In Jesus' resurrection, Humanity itself was raised up from its grave of pride. And we now, in Jesus' resurrection, we can walk in newness of life, and we can walk humbly before our God, and we can walk humbly even before one another. We can finally get around to being a people together who are humble with one another. Never forget, friends, that the spirit that raised Jesus Christ and that ministered to Jesus Christ dwells in us by faith. And so now if we belong to Jesus, we can't not catch the resurrection of humility in Jesus Christ. It's ours to take and it's ours to catch. And so over the course of the next few weeks, especially, but as long as we're a church, we're going to continue to teach humility within our community 
And we'll teach it, of course, from God's word. But let me suggest this. You'll always have people teaching from God's word the way of humility. But what we need, what we need so badly, and maybe most of all, is for a few good women and men to catch hold of the humility of Jesus, to breathe in the fresh air of Jesus' humble spirit. A few good women and men to begin with humility to make his new resurrection life their own in community with us. So who will teach us his resurrection humility? From which of you will we begin to catch the new and humble resurrection way to be human in Christ Jesus? We need you so that we can catch Jesus' own humility. You have the spirit of God in your heart if you're trusting Jesus. So walk in humility and teach us your way as you learn from Jesus and allow us to catch it as well. Mother Teresa mentored younger women as they worked together in Calcutta. And as they worked together, Mother Teresa wanted to make sure that a resurrection of humility was happening in the life of their little community. And here's what she longed for. She made a list. Here's what I long for. Here's what I think we long for together as a church. When a resurrection of humility happens among us, then I will be able to, number one, speak a lot less about myself. Number two, keep busy with my own affairs and not those of other people. Number three, avoid curiosity and gossip and insider knowledge and power that comes with it. Number four, I will be able to accept small irritations from people with good humor. Number five, I will be able to overlook minor faults in my sisters and brothers. Number six, I will be able to listen charitably to criticism, even if that criticism is not delivered charitably to me. Seven, I'll let others have their preferences when it doesn't really matter. Eight, I'll take insults and injuries without striking back and without despairing. And last, number nine, I'll be able to go without being admired and praised by people. I think when we look at this list, we might summarize it by saying uh, what Tim Keller says, that the ultimate joy of the Christian life in community is this, self-forgetfulness, self-forgetfulness. Humility, he says, is not thinking less of yourself, but simply thinking of yourself less. What liberty there is in that. When we catch this one great truth and we rejoice in it, everything will change. What's this one great truth? 
it's not really about me. It's about the Lord Jesus, and it's about what he has done and is doing among us. And it's my joy to see him doing it among us, and in you, and you, and you, and you. Have you experienced the humility of Jesus Christ? Have you been rescued by his humility? Has his humble rescue just smashed your resistance to humility to bits? Has it squashed your rage against humility? And have you begun to see in your heart and in your life and in our community a resurrection of humility in Christ? For the sake of our life together, friends, let's make sure that the humility of Jesus continues to be caught and taught among us. And then I'm convinced that our church will glow with resurrection warmth as we learn to show true humility in Christ to one another. Heavenly Father, we pray that this would be the case in our midst. We do pray that the world would know that we are Christians by our love and that you would teach us the path of humility. Teach us the joy of forgetting ourselves and remembering one another, loving and honoring and serving one another, just as you in our Lord Jesus Christ did for us. And give us your Holy Spirit to convince us of the reality of his rescue and the reality of his resurrection that we might experience this joy of humility in our midst. Set our church apart, we pray, in Zurich and in the world as a community marked by the humility of Jesus so that all people will know that we are his disciples by his grace alone. And we pray it together in his name, amen.